Hello there, civic-minded individuals. Welcome to another episode of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. I'm Melissa Vaughn, and on today's show, Fran, Jesse, and I will discuss a few school-related topics before the kitties are let out for the summer. On June 4th, the Richmond City School Board approved the fiscal year 19 budget, which is the one that is upcoming now. So everything was pretty normal with it. There's not a lot of discussion on a lot of the different items. The big point of discussion now was around the 12.5 million that was reallocated. So it was a fund balance from last year that was reallocated back to the school district. So the reason this is a big topic of discussion is because it technically is a one-time increase. Mm -hmm. So not this money's not guaranteed to be there in fiscal year 20. It's not reoccurring. Right. So obviously things that aren't reoccurring monies, you probably don't want to put, I don't know, reoccurring expenses under that. That's right. Oh, but we do. (laughs) Well, you know. Yes. Yeah, to some extent. We take it where we can get it. So what they ended up doing, so on the, I think it was the May 21st school board meeting, Cameras originally presented a budget that had, it was pretty similar to what he originally presented, which had things like nurses, 12 more nurses, there would be a nurse in every school, which would obviously create positions and have that salary expense that they would need to figure it out next year or else the people would be terminated. So the school board did not feel comfortable with that situation, obviously. So what they did approve, though, does have a mix of one-time funds and recurring funds, but I think it's really a point of differentiation to really kind of run through this really quickly because I've already heard at least one council person be very critical of the approval of this specific to salaries and it's not the salaries that are generating the recurring expenses. So let me just quickly kind of give a quick rundown of how they're using this 12.5 million. Okay. So under salaries what they did is they did a 2% raise for all contracted employees Mm -hmm. and a 6% increase in healthcare costs and then there was a decrease in the Virginia retirement system rate. So that's a total of $5.1 million. When you look to the next year, they do not anticipate the decrease in VRS rate. They do not anticipate the healthcare costs going up that much. And then with the 2% raise for all contracted employees, half of that cost would be covered by the state because Medicaid expansion happened. So when we look at what's a true reoccurring cost for salaries that the school district will have to figure out next year, it's 1.9 million, basically 1%. So it's not as bad, I think, when you look at the salaries on that portion of it, as at least some people would have you believe. So the second level is staffing. And we're going to talk about kind of what's in the budget in a little bit here. Um, But on the staffing, they actually added five English as a second language teachers, nine bilingual support staff, three bilingual counselors, one internal auditor. And that had a pretty high cost. If I I remember my math, it was a little over like 1.225, I think it was, million. But they reduced 20 non-instructional full-time employees, which basically means this is a net impact of only $25,000. So when we say they reduced the non-instructional employees, this isn't like they went and terminated 20 people. It's positions that were vacant that they determined weren't necessary for the school district Mm -hmm. to keep. So why keep them on the books if they aren't filled? So that's actually adding those they offset it by eliminating positions to make sure that this money wouldn't be impactful. Which is what they said they were going to do anyway. Exactly. So then when we keep going, they added in some one-time cost things, such as pilots for living room chats, trauma-informed care practices, restorative justice, instructional supplies for teachers, athletic equipment, all of that stuff. And then they also did contracts. So an athletic trainer contract, where it would only be like a one-year contract, so you're contracting out a company. Also, dedicated nurses for students with disabilities, that would also be on a contract. also a one-time 
payment to the local retirement payment plan. So all of those things are one-time expenses. There are two more items though that are recurring expenses. And those are considered what they're called transfers, which really just means the tuition that Richmond Public Schools pays for Richmond students to go to, for example, Code RVA, mm-hmm. Maggie Walker Governor's School, Patrick Henry, and then also specific education programs, which are already committed funds for things in the Arthur Ashe Center, Virtual Virginia, Virtual Virginia, etc. When we look at like what the re- real recurring expenses are from the 12.5 million, it's about 6.9 million. So it's a little over half the reallocation. Mm-hmm. For salaries, only 1.9 million of that for next year is of a concern for reoccurring expenses for the school district. And then 500,000 because they decided to raise salaries for bus drivers and bus monitors. So of the new things that were added by this board, it's only 2.4 million of it versus, you know, this a few people have been saying like, why would you do this, et cetera, et cetera. You know, when we drill it down, the existing items that were already in the budget from like, should have probably been covered. Anyway. That's where I'm more concerned is like, why why are we having to use this fund balance for, for those things items that were already on the budget right but when we have people that will ultimately i know it's eventually people are going to say this that oh well the school board decided to use this for salaries why would they do that it's a minority of this they've almost offset yeah. most of the stuff that they added yeah i was looking at like why are they crying about that why are you crying about salaries when it's such a minuscule uh, portion people want to still this. cry over this man hiring people for these crazy expenses and blah 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 blah, blah. that's why and so you know i just thought it was interesting to kind of dig, dig down into you know what are the re- what, what's the reality, I guess, you know, about what are we looking at? Because when somebody says, like, you added salaries, you did this, why didn't you use this for maintenance funds? And it's not as bad as it seems. No, the salary portion was a drop in the bucket. Right. Quit it. So, you know, I think that is a valid question, though. You know, why wouldn't you use it for maintenance funds? And me personally, I, I, I believe that the programs that they're adding in here are also critical needs. When we look at the budget and we talk about things like English as a second language for teachers, support staff, counselors, that's sure. helping parents communicate at their schools. Mm-hmm. Especially in two districts that we have right now that right, are hurting for ESL um, teachers. I mean, we need it. We need it. You know, our Hispanic population is booming. Yep. Eighth and ninth district, it yeah. is growing exponentially. And also, you know, especially like in the ninth district where it's all elementary schools. And, mm-hmm. and to be honest, I was at the budget hearings and the majority of parents that came up at the budget hearings were Spanish-speaking parents that were asking school board for more resources detailing how they can't communicate with their kid's teacher, how they have to have basically their kid translate a conversation between two adults. Yeah. In a lot of cases, that could be about that kid. Or the alternative might be going and grabbing the Spanish teacher out of class Wow. to have Yikes. these conversations. Yikes. You know, our school board has a bilingual translator at every school board meeting to help ki- help parents advocate for their kids. It's really a shame that we haven't been able to support them at the school level, especially when you look at the graduation rate mm-hmm. of Spanish-speaking students. I think I saw it was less than 50%. Yeah, it's really disheartening. And you would think in 2018 that having um, a translator in every school would be a no-brainer. But, you know, we're also living in um, times where um, immigrants are vilified, so... Yeah, I was going to say, it depends on what your priorities are. You know, I think some of these programs, you know, pilots, 
living room chat. So that's actually a pilot that I think is going to be really neat. It's basically to help give an incentive for teachers and also cover some of the costs and some of the training costs for teachers to be able to meet at homes of parents and kids. Yeah, it would be super beneficial mm-hmm. for if you did have a particularly troubled child, you might actually be able to get to the heart of the matter as a teacher if you're able to meet them where they live and, and figure out the best way to work with this child so that they can succeed. And then you can work with the parents on a success plan as well. And so everybody's involved or what a what a novel idea mm. and I think for me one of the challenges I also have is to hear especially if city council goes down this path which I haven't heard it yet but you know mm-hmm. I'm coming. sure it'll come it is coming <sighs> is to criticize them for doing things that are supposed to hopefully improve the lives and the academic outcomes mm-hmm. of the students mm-hmm. in a lot of this budget instead of just dumping this into maintenance funds you know we've heard six district councilwoman Ellen Robertson and a number of them say things along the lines of like buildings aren't going to fix the problem and we need to be looking at academic outcomes okay (laughs) we can't just be looking at that when it's convenient like I just feel like at some point it becomes rhetoric of like well you know buildings aren't the problem academic outcomes are the problem and then when they try to have a budget that does improve some outcomes you have people screaming why didn't you fix the buildings right it's so (laughs) circular and back and forth I know it's so damned if you do and damned if you don't Oh, there it is. There's our uh, signature sound, the exasperated sigh. And I know like we're about to talk about Carver, but it also recently came out that Carver Elementary has moldy curtains. I've seen pictures of these curtains like those. Oh, that's so oh. disgusting. It's the, the curtains in the auditorium. Those cost like 80 grand to replace. Mm-hmm. Those are huge curtains. And then there's also like mold on the uh, the walls that's been like basically painted over. But the thing is, it's not just Carver. No. We had this conversation about George Mason last year. There's concerns right now about Summer Hill. That's going to be, I think the the estimate was close to two million dollars to really fix summer hill right they're going to keep it open because what choice do they have yeah so gotta have a place to put our preschool kids you do and there's there's i think what's was not being said people everybody wants a solution and you know an easy solution an easy solution and there's so many holes in this boat they all all the holes can't be patched at once and one of the issues, you know, which is not something that we can necessarily solve all at once right now, but the buildings are old. You know, they've been periodically abused and not taken care of and not properly maintenance. So it's not something that you can fix. I mean, we know that from the plan now, you know, we pretty much need to rebuild half of the schools in Richmond. We know that. But in the meantime, <laughs> you know, what? <laughs> there's other things that need to also be done. So you got to find a balance. Patch the roof, send the kids to school, dry out the moisture, dry out the mold. There's no answer in closing the school and making the schools more packed, making the classroom sizes larger, and still not giving the teachers the needed resources that they needed for the smaller class anyway. Now she's, you know, overworked or he is overworked in the class with more students, less supplies, less resources, and no toilet paper. I don't know. I mean, I just say there's got to be a balance and you can't plug all the holes at once. So plug the ones you can plug. You can't, you just got to pick and choose. And I think that's the part where we we go back and forth. You know, you've got to find a balance. You've allowed the schools to get to this point, you know, council after council, school board after school board, you know, you stand up and you fight for this thing, you fight for that thing. And needless to say, you know, you've still got schools falling apart. How long, what's the longest sitting person we've got on council right now? That's Reva. Be Reva. Reva? Mm-hmm. She was there in the late 90s, uh-huh. left for a couple years, But she left for back. some years. It's consecutive. Who's the longest consecutive? Ellen. It'd probably be Ellen. Ellen. And are all the schools in her district, uh, are they brand new? She got one whole school in her district. 
She got um, Martin Luther Overby, King. Overby Shepherd. Oh, this, no, excuse Martin me. King, Martin Luther King was, and Overby Shepherd. That was built under Wilder. And then new. Overby Shepherd got a renovation. But those are the only two schools we have in the 6th District. Okay. Well, lucky her. So, you know, that's what I'm saying. People... But to your point, a lot of the uh, a lot of the people on council right now, the majority of people on council were on council under a Doug Wilder reign, which if anybody wants to have like a big throwback today. Mm-hmm. Does anybody remember when Wilder tried kicking the school board out of the city oh, hall? Yes. Like. Mm-hmm. That was not a good relationship. That was the same time frame when the Gang of 26 letter came in where they wanted to get rid of a publicly elected school board. That was a time when they basically said, we need to cut our way to having a budget for the school district. Then you continue on into Mayor Jones and Dwight did the same thing. I mean, that was the answer where they brought in Robert C. Bob Group to come up with cuts and they did things. They were talking about furloughs, Mm -hmm. just saying, let's furlough the teachers. That's craziness. Like that's to me, you know, we have a majority of people on council who have that mindset that this is a problem that is a school district problem that we can audit and cut our way out of it and no. use the word efficiencies as a platitude. No. No. Wrong. No. Oh, I need to use my, my buzzer, don't I? But okay. I don't know. I You know, looking at this budget, I'm pretty excited about a lot of the things in it. I, I, I understand the challenges and the frustrations, and I, I wish the circumstance was different. But, you know, if we also look at the same time, you know, our new superintendent, came in in the middle of the budget process and started in the middle of a budget process. And if we think about, I guess what I'm trying to say is I really just hope next year is different. I really do. <laughs> yeah. We'll no. see. Yeah. Well, we have to give the school board a chance. We have to give the superintendent a chance, you know. And I know that it's asking a lot for people to to trust and just let it unfold. Yeah. But it's what we've got to do. This is what we got to do, folks. But highlights here, I think, are that there's some exciting stuff. You know, there's now going to be some more support for and a lot more support, for, hopefully, for people that are bilingual. Teachers are getting raises, although we don't have time to go into it right now. And I just don't have answers on it. But there might be some controversies we'll be talking about in the near future around those salary raises. Um, some people might want to, like, check out the uh, salary schedules. Yeah. Um, I, I think there might be some. I'm hoping there's some mistakes in it. But there's a lot. And, and just... A lot, but there's some good stuff, and I really hope we don't lose sight of the good stuff that is there and let the rhetoric about one time versus recurring versus, well, it's unspent money distract us from the fact that there are positive things that are happening for the students, which is what all of this is for. That's the whole purpose. Correct. So now that we've talked about the budget, uh, let's talk about something that's kind of related to the budget. Budget shortages. <laughs> budget shortages. So recently, we, Richmond Public Schools, ran out of TP. They didn't have a square to spare. <laughs> I'm sorry. I really love Seinfeld too much. I know. I was waiting. I, I've been saving that up all day. I'm glad you saved that one for me. Yeah, so basically what had happened was um, there was a toilet paper shortage. There was nothing left in the building, and a lot of parents came together and did something about it. So someone posted on the, I think it was the Support Our Schools Facebook page, and just said something where basically they had called the, the I guess, the, the custodian, first of all, said that they didn't have anything. Then they called, the teacher called the uh I guess the downtown office uh-huh. to find out like what up with the toilet paper. There's a toilet paper. And the person in the downtown office said, "We have forty thousand dollars of orders that are just waiting to be paid. They don't have the money for it." So with the school year closing soon, and all, and also you know fiscal year, it makes sense honestly because the fiscal year closes June thirtieth. So you're coming up on the end of this fiscal year. So it is 
honestly super possible and plausible that they would have run out of funds. So it's not something super far-fetched. Mm -mm. Partly because, well, RPS, lack of funds. Other part, end of the fiscal year. So parents came together and created basically like a GoFundMe kind of situation where it was getting people to sign up to donate supplies of paper towels, toilet paper, soap, all that kind of stuff to all the different schools. And then Superintendent Cameras came out and said, we don't have a shortage. We, we don't need donations. Stop. Like, don't worry. We've got this. <sighs> so now, you know, there's still reports and albeit, you know, there's a week or two of school left, so maybe they didn't give enough or something. But there's there's been reports still that, you know, they, there's schools and bathrooms that still don't have toilet paper. Okay. But my big question on all of it is, can we, what, what, what happened? So, you know, there's been lack of or shortage of toilet paper. People are now coming out and saying, like, oh, well, this is how it's been all year. All so, year. so then I want to know, have has it been, have people stopped asking for it to be fixed because they come to expect it? Where in the process did this break down? Because it wasn't just about now. It's been about for a while. And, you know, it's just now coming up that it's a big issue to where people are funding it. But to me, I have a number of issues or questions, rather, of just why did we stop asking for it? Or did people continue to ask for it and nothing, nothing happened? Right. Or... Is there truly a shortage or is there an issue with getting the supplies from point A to point B? What is the actual issue? So for me, for him to say, we Chill don't need your donations, calm down, we've got it. I also want an answer about, but but where's the problem paper. point? Yeah, where, what's happening? Because, you know. Yeah, where's the breakdown in communication yeah, and supply? I would really, I, I want to believe that we don't need all these donations. But I also have this moment where I'm like, if we're going to, if you're going to have people donate stuff. Doesn't that just help free up other parts of the budget? So why wouldn't you just let it happen? Is it just is it just that you're embarrassed at what it is? Maybe because if it were me, I would have just been like, "Hey, we're not really having that big of a problem, but thanks for helping out. Why don't you just continue? Then we'll just have a stockpile for yeah, next year." Of, yeah, instead of instead of sending toilet paper after this year's over, send tissues because mm-hmm. we'll always have need those. <sighs> yeah, I'm just I didn't really understand that one at all, but I don't either. It's <sighs> it's embarrassing. It's really embarrassing. Yeah. Well, imagine, you know, you've got well, imagine if you Henrico and Chesterfield paper. looking at us going, are you serious? You're sending kids to school and there's no toilet paper in their bathrooms? When I was at the school board meeting uh, on June 4th, I think it was, there were parents and teachers that were there talking about it. And there was somebody that was actually saying that their daughter picks up their son at school. So an RPS student holds it all day mm. because there's no TP at her, her, her school. Until she can pick up her brother at another RPS school that has it. Bye. Ah. Yeah. Bye. Oh, no. And what's actually, this is terrible, but when I saw pictures of also some of the donations that were being made, in the back of my head, I also thought, like, that's two-ply. That's uh, actually superior toilet paper. I, that is superior toilet paper. It's not sandpaper. It's not dissolving the moment anybody uses it oh my gosh seriously can you imagine getting charmin no i didn't have charmin at my school but you do with the donations I'm hey I, I i almost don't I, I, sorry mr cameras but y'all keep donating this toilet paper right seriously toilet paper soap paper towels whatever whatever it takes to relieve the burden on these teachers and faculty Matter for fact, the rest of the school year just do it while y'all are at it when you get tired of buying toilet paper, buy dry erase markers. Teachers need those. <laughs> right. Just saying. Pick another supply. I know. I, I just don't think it's very smart to tell parents, stop donating. It's it's not a problem. No, just let them donate. Well, I just want to know where, where 
if it's not supposed to be don't don't donate then where's the toilet paper right like that's that's my question is it's it's where is the breakdown in this process because that's something i just don't understand at all is if it's not if it's that the toilet paper's there or you have the funds for the toilet paper then what was the actual problem and how do we address it right why is everybody confused why does everybody think that there is no toilet paper how did that happen the other thing i kind of want to just serious breakdown in communication while we're talking about donations and things, um, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to plug something that's coming up in two months, I believe. August 4th will be the 10th annual citywide back to school rally put on by Northside Coalition for Children. Yes, yes, I'm volunteering, you guys. It's at Richmond Raceway. But the big thing is, is that the big volunteer point is before the actual rally. Mm-hmm. helping put together the backpacks and also donating yeah. supplies because what um, yeah. this is actually an organization from former uh, sixth district school board member Shonda Harris Muhammad mm-hmm. the only Harris Muhammad on the ballot that's right um, Harris Muhammad on the ballot. that's what she said I just really liked it so she um, puts it together where you can donate school supplies and they put them together in packs for kids yep. and then they give them out to the kids but they also to Francesca's point will take stuff for teachers mm-hmm. they have so, a teacher room too and they have a teacher room so you know while the school year is winding down and hopefully we're past TP gate 2018 mm, TP um, gate <laughs> I, I hope that we can also just continue because I think this is a point where, you know, what I love and I think what pains me the most to hear superintendents say we don't need donations is that we're in a time where we always need the community to rally around RPS. And whether always need donations. Of something. Yeah. If it's time when we couldn't cut the grass. Mm, mm, man. If it's time to help with building a better RPS. Mm-hmm. Because they do things such as like painting and they do touch up work, landscaping as a volunteer nonprofit situation over the mm-hmm. summer sometimes. Mm-hmm. If it's helping stuff backpacks, if it's donating school supplies that way, there's mm-hmm. always a need. And, you know, I think anytime the community gets involved with the school district, it's it's a great thing and we should continue doing it. Because that's, that's in some avenue. Community involvement. Another big thing with the back to school rally this year, it has previously been open to um, just a certain area. It's open to everybody this year. And they do stuff like haircuts for kids. Yes. They try to really get kids excited and ready. Carter got a haircut last year. He was really excited. Yeah, so bring your kids. They'll get backpacks. Um, there'll be tons of vendors there also to help you do things like get registered to vote. Um, other vendors there to help you do things um just within your life, she always has the vendor section packed. There are all there's always a DJ and there's always um, barbers that are there to just do free haircuts for back to school for the for everybody. I mean, it's that's an amazing thing and it speaks a lot to it. Shonda Harris Muhammad does a great job with that. Shout out to Shonda, seriously, yeah. we love you, girl. And so she needs Thank everything. Thank you so much for doing that. Yeah. They're trying to fill ten thousand backpacks this year. Mm-hmm. She's saying, I'm on Facebook right now, looking at it. Notebook paper is a big need, but if anybody wants to yeah. help with that you know if you're looking for some way that after this year a couple more weeks of school you know you don't have to donate toilet paper for your kids to be able to wipe at school Mm. (sighs) maybe you know redirecting some of those efforts you could start donating to Northside Coalition for Children you can email Shonda at shonda.harrismuhammad at gmail.com to find out how you can donate because yeah. I, I, I think I just want to say thank you to everybody who has already donated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, toilet paper, is such a serious thing. But I think it's just one thing that we need to think about when we're talking about RPS and how we can help as a community. Because, you know, I know I don't have children in the school district because, again, cats can't enroll. So <laughs> I know, same. Dress up my little dog like a little schoolboy and send him off. 
gosh. That would be the cutest thing in the world. But it's okay. We're going to get adopted kid for y'all. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's just important for everybody to, when they do have some ability, if mm-hmm. it's your time or whatever it is. And I just, we just wanted to talk about kind of the toilet paper thing. It's, it's sad to hear about it. And I think using it though as one point of something for us to use that's a much bigger issue is definitely a good thing. So thank you to everybody that helped out with that and donated that and put together that fundraiser. It was really well organized and coordinated. And I know it helped a lot of uh, kids, teachers, and if only it shows the support out there. And that's what I really loved about it was how many different people you're helping all schools, Mm -hmm. not just your school, not just your PTA. That was probably the coolest thing of it. And don't be discouraged by anybody saying we don't need donations always donate to your school always donate to whatever rps needs trust me if you're listen to the to the teachers and the parents yeah and if they're telling you that they need something Mm -hmm. just donate it if you can Mm -hmm. if you're an active parent and and clearly you are if you're donating um to your school all you have to do is push an email out to your teacher and ask that teacher what they need. I'm sure they've got a laundry list of things that are going to help improve the uh, environment for your child in that class. are listening to RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania on WRIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond. We're going to talk about something that uh, has come out in the news a little bit more recently and is impacting kids this week, actually. At George Washington Carver Elementary, which is an elementary school in the second district, there have been allegations that there were uh, there was cheating on the SOL test this year. At this point, where things stand is that they are having the students retake the tests. And when I say they, I mean the Virginia Department of Education has yes. determined that there were irregularities in the testing procedures and protocols. So the children are retaking the tests. Um, actually, I believe some of the reading ones were taken last week, and then the rest are being retaken this week as it is the last week of school, I believe, oh, school. also. Yeah. Poor little booze having to do this on the last week of school. Yeah, so this is an especially, you know, heartbreaking situation to have in the uh to have period i think you know it's tough because in 2016 carver was named a blue ribbon school a national blue ribbon school there are not many schools that get that accreditation standard Mm -mm. 
or that recognition, I mean. Um, this is one school that has been doing so well, really, if you look at the data since probably 2014, yep. is really when they started to skyrocket and be significantly higher than the state and the city scores especially. And this isn't something that I think is just coming that people are questioning this year. Um, this is something that people have honestly been questioning probably oh, since wow. 2014, yeah. I would assume, because that's really when they skyrocketed. So the backstory is in 2012, they got a new principal. Mm -hmm. And then in 2014, their testing scores just blew out of the roof, 20 points higher in some cases mm -hmm. um, on the pass rates, at least, and just really had a very really big boom and, and were really, really successful schools. And, you know, whenever whenever you have a situation where things jump up that high, I think everybody starts to question it. Mm -hmm. But people were especially questioning it because of the kids that go to Carver. And I think that's the most heartbreaking point for me because what that's saying is the kids who go to Carver grow up for the most part in Gilpin Court. So in one of our, our lowest income parts of the city, to, for people to say, well, they must be cheating, there's no other answer. It couldn't be their hard work or any of the teacher's work and just writing it off because of where they're from. That's part of why I think people haven't really been talking about it much because there is some element of racism that's huh. involved when you make this allegation i think oh 100 mm -hmm. yeah. and when you kind of peel back the layers and you look at it you know people a lot of people in the city not just at carver but there are preschool seats that aren't filled it's an underused program to some extent you know people are going into kindergarten not at grade level with some other kids. So you have to also kind of make the assumption that they're not going to just magically get to grade level when they go to Carver and get not only to where they need to be to get high scores in the SOLs, but to make up for that deficit that they were coming in with. And on the other end of it, you know, when they graduate, you look at the school they go to, Albert Hill, and you would assume that you could look and see that the test scores continue at Albert, Albert Hill, the high scores. Which they should. But I was actually about to ask you, did you know if, the scores continued to increase, you know, or stay the same so I level when they went to uh, middle school. Yeah, so I haven't looked at Albert Hill's test scores, like, in depth. Um, but the challenge there also is that you would almost have to have the school district peel back the onion on it because since our middle schools aren't just – it's an aggregation of multiple elementary right. schools. Sure, right. be able to follow just one – you know, one group of students. Sure. Yeah. Um, but there have, of course, been rumors about kids from that school in the middle school and their abilities and, and their levels of different things, such as like reading levels. Personally, I, I don't know. I really don't want this to be true. No, because I mean, when mm -mm. well, when you're looking at um, the, the graphs and stuff that we're looking at, it, it almost looks like one of two things. The principal is awesome and is an amazing leader or she's really good at cheating and I, I would hate for it to be the latter oh my god especially for all of those kids all of those kids who have been told you're doing so wonderful look you're blue ribbon school you know and then boom it's not your fault kids but the adults screwed you over well let, let's let's deal with it that that's true let's deal with it from a very like I'm sorry. Can we talk about this really quick? I just noticed this in 2012. Mm -hmm. Grade five mathematics pass rates for Carver was just barely above 40 percent. Mm -hmm. Okay. In 2014, mm -hmm. it was 95 ish percent. And the and the test, mind you, also another thing to consider in there, the test changed. True. So the the standardized test prior to 2012 changed in 2013, and so a lot of schools experienced a dip in the pass rates because not only were the the teachers you know it was just a different test to be administered but is it is there that much difference in the tests 
Well, apparently across the board, it showed that there was a dip in the but, average pass rate. But when you say dip, you mean it went down. It went down after 2013. Right, yeah. but and this, this is one showing is going it went up. up. This one went. That's what they're saying. So, so mm-hmm. what? What a lot of the criticism has been is that the test changed, and with that change, it then requires there to kind of be like an adjustment not, period. An adjustment period, yeah, where you're gonna have you know the teachers getting readjusted to everything and the students everything, you know, and the trend typically is that you have a dip in the scores, whereas Carver was like... They skyrocketed. Yeah. Yeah, like doubled. <laughs> so what did what did they know that the other schools didn't? Well, well and that's what I really want to know. So, you know, what, what I think could be really heartbreaking also is, you know, let's say the review happens, and which it has, I guess, sorry. It, it's happening say, now. It's happening yeah. now. Let's say when they retest, let's say that those scores come back close to the same. Let's say that it's proven that, no, these kids are truly, truly where they need to be. Then there needs to be a grand scale apology, not just to the school, not just to the administrator, but more so to these kids. But I'm not even, yes, absolutely. I wasn't even going there yet, but absolutely 100%. Where I was going to go is say, why have we not taken the best practices from Carver and shown them to other schools? Well, one, because they've been in doubt because they're thinking, how could these possibly could these kids in the lowest level of poverty in Richmond outscore everyone else in the state. Absolutely. They must be cheating. Right. And so and if it comes back and these scores are very close, if not the same as to what they were, you you better go, everybody better go down, every principal, every administrator, every assistant principal better take a day. No, give it a week. Take a week at Carver and go find out what the hell she's doing. And that's where I say it's, it's it's one of the more even heartbreaking parts of this and just like another yeah. heartbreaking element because, you know, because of mm-hmm. the doubt that mm-hmm. people have had, mm-hmm. they haven't taken and tried to find out or or I don't know if Carver's resisted it or what has happened. But if they're if these scores come back and the retest is similar, it's an absolute crying shame. And it's an absolute doubt... smack in the face mm-hmm. to this principal. And she ought to let it ring for all of this just. Nate just nay saying I'm just hoping for her behalf and for these kids that these scores come back and they're really really close right because the ones who are suffering are going to be the children period period. regardless regardless of what happens whether they they score the same or better or or lower the kids are still going to suffer because now you're taking a kid you've given a kid a grade and you know we know how this works these kids live off of there's some schools most schools in this area that live off of your SOL scores they practice all year to get to SOLs and so you know you've got kids that they know they've gotten these grades on SOLs they've had the pizza party already they've had the cupcakes at lunchtime to celebrate their passing you know grades and now you're going to tell them that well we suspect that there was something wrong and I'm sure that the the Virginia Department of Education has not crafted some kind of nor has RPS crafted some type of release to the or statement to the students these kids they don't get it they're in elementary school so you're being retested and now gosh, please don't let these kids, don't let that be the case. If they score low, what's going to happen? But, you know, I'm not, first of all, let me say, I've also read online uh, a parent that is at Carver was talking about the retest procedure. And I personally have legitimate concerns, I think, about the retest procedure. Mm -hmm. Because what they're doing is instead of the normal way is that the teachers read the instruction. And because there's alleged irregularities they're going to have recordings tell the kids what to do but the kids have to operate the recorders their device themselves i just wonder about you know the timing like all these different factors you're setting the kids up to not do well either Mm -hmm. right 
Yeah, well, you're now giving you're... them added anxiety over what? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So not not only now do they have to, are they going to give them extra time for this for this clicking a button and clicking off? And, and the parent, um, the statement that I think it was on Facebook, it was like, you know, my child, you know, we had a practice you know, a practice run with these um, devices. And what's going to happen if that child doesn't know how to rewind it? Or, you know, mm -hmm. is my child going to be given extra time? Like what, how are you, now this is negating from, you know, what you were doing all the time. You were trying to give this child, you know, confidently test these kids under these circumstances, but you're making it worse. And so here's the thing also that bothers me the most about the retest is it's completely ignoring the heart of the issue. Because to me, the heart of the issue is, let's say the test scores come back and they say that there was irregularities or there was cheating or whatever. That's not the problem. To me, that's it, it's that's not the real heart of the problem. The problem mm. is the environment that the pressure of the SOLs actually put the school systems in. Because- mm -hmm. to, to, to have to feel like they needed to cheat. Because parents can opt their kids out of any SOL and all SOLs without repercussion to the child. And most parents don't know that. No. You're absolutely no. No, they able, think it's I, required. They think it's required, and you can opt your kid out of it. On one hand, the kids can opt out or the parents can opt the kids out. On the other hand, the schools are pressured to get the scores, yeah. to get the kids to take the tests. Mm -hmm. And to get those high scores. And to get higher scores. Because, honestly, when I was in school, I took the SOLs all the way from third grade to when I graduated. And... In the classes I was in, for the most part, I never had teachers talk about the SOLs. It was a, just a test that we took. It was just, hey, this is the end of the year, something you have to get through. We mm -hmm. weren't talking about the SOLs all year, mm -mm. except, I'm, I'm FYI, I'm not good at math. Not great at all. <laughs> so I was in the normal, average, like, mm -hmm. whatever math class, mm -hmm. and all they would talk about is the SOLs. And when we asked questions, because we legitimately didn't understand the content. Well, we would, it's not on the SOL. Don't worry about it. No. They would tell us we can't continue to take the time to cover this because we have to stay on pace with the SOLs. Ooh. Right. So there's stuff I know I, I never learned. And you're setting me up to fail an SOL because you have to keep pacing. That's the environment that happens. I went and when I was running for school board, I toured the elementary schools in my district. I was in a classroom where they were taking out computers, laptops for the kids to, to do activities or, or classroom items on. And one of the kids, a fourth grader, a fourth grader asked the teacher, how many SOLs do we have to take this year? I toured the school in September. That's the beginning of the year. SOLs are May. So to some extent, you know. They're thinking about it. I mean, that's for some for some kids, that's what school is. And for some schools, that's what school is. And that's what SOLs. we make this for kids. Right. We and are building this up so much that we're breeding anxiety in these children and telling them, if you don't take this and if you don't pass this, you're not going to graduate. When or for you're not going to go any further in school. Yeah, it's it's meaningless, technically. Like, they, they can graduate without taking the SOLs. Right, but they don't know that. Exactly, and that's no. the, that's where I think part of the problem is is that you know the schools and the parents don't know exactly the schools aren't the, the the way they're set up with the VDOE and the repercussions for the schools and how they keep pushing them and the, the accreditation all of this different yeah. stuff. Every every parent should have opted to get out. So <laughs> that's what needs to happen, but not just the retest. Yeah. Every so every single the, the only way, in my opinion, to really change the SOL system is for. A mass opt-out. A mass opt-out because there are repercussions for the schools and the school districts if, like, a school doesn't get to where they need to be as far as SOLs. Mm -hmm. But if you have a mass opt-out, 
Yeah. They can't do it. They can't do it. So there's actually, I'm going to say it out loud really quick. There is a website that can talk more about opt-outs for people. Mm -hmm. It's rvaoptout.com. And it actually tells you all the parental rights and explains with different links and studies about the challenges of SOL testing and gives you all the information that you really need Mm -hmm. to opt your kid out intelligently when it makes sense for you. Mm. Um, So that that was a pretty good resource. But uh, unfortunately, this is this is tough. It's one of the decisions that I think a lot of parents, I know when I didn't take SOLs after, um, like once I got to middle school or something, because my grandparents were, I'd come home every day with no homework, no textbooks half the time. I was in public school. They'd be like, well, what are you doing at school? And I said, well, I do all my work. I have straight A's. I'm, you know, doing what I'm supposed to do. And when my grandparents went to the school to talk to you know, the teachers and can we give her extra work or something? You know, they said, well, you know, she's good. She passes She passes her SOLs. Like, you know, it's no need to, you know, put her in high school courses or something early. She's fine. You know, she's doing great on the SOLs. And my mom's like, she's bigger than an SOL test. That happens, <laughs> you know, like once a year. Like, this is bigger than that. Like, we're, we want her to go to college and college didn't care about your SOL scores at all. And my mom's an educator. And, you know, it got to the point where that's what you heard every year, every single year. So they're like, let's just put you in private school. Like, this is ridiculous. And so that's what I ended up doing. Most of my life, I'd skip back and forth, back and forth. If some schools, like, rely on those SOL tests. I think I was listening to, I can't remember what uh, what it was. It could be Backpack Full of Money, the documentary. It could be. I can't remember if it was or not. But I want to say there's schools in, like, Kentucky that they literally base their whole entire curriculum day in day out on the SOLs and SOL only and they even take like practice tests SOLs with buzzers and timers can you imagine how much (laughs) those kids are actually missing out on learning yeah I mean they're I mean but that's what they're doing they're practicing for a test it is an added layer of institutionalization that Mm -hmm. does not help anybody succeed Mm -hmm. in real life honestly I think if you put an SOL test in for me right now I'd probably fail it because none of that stuff has Mm -hmm. actually mattered since I graduated oh no and so I'm gonna date myself a whole lot but when I was a sophomore in high school at Manchester High School in Chesterfield County our class tested the SOLs before they were implemented oh wow we took a fifth grade level yeah that's right most testing SOLs while I was taking them (laughs) (laughs) sorry it was ridiculous Oh, my gosh. It's absolutely ridiculous. And most of the class got it wrong, got a lot of the answers wrong because we weren't even taught that stuff at that point. And so we actually had a lot of peace. It showed well, it showed us that we were missing a lot of education, I guess, that these tests thought that we should have at this point. It also made us feel really dumb. I don't think it's about missing education. I think it's about what the idea behind the SOL is a great in theory idea. Mm-hmm. Basically, it, it's a it's a curriculum with pacing mm-hmm. to make sure that no matter what school you go to, you have some level of consistency in yeah, it. Yeah, because on week twenty two, everybody's exactly. Be doing this. And if you end up having to switch schools for whatever reason within Virginia, in theory, you're on the same exact thing around. But Sounds it is, great on paper. Yeah. But the way that we use it is absolutely completely wrong. Yeah. So you've got teachers stressed out, you've got kids stressed out, you've got teachers and administration in some instances possibly frustrated to the point of of cheating or... Yeah. So for me, you know, as we we kind of wrap this up, I think the basic takeaways here are this is an absolute heartbreaking situation for these kids and mm-hmm. the only person that is hurt in the situation is the kids are the kids and and that's not just with carver and the retest that's honestly to me in my opinion the sols mm-hmm. 
DSOs don't help anybody except for the people who administer them and make a ton of money off the school district doing so. So something else that's going on with uh, Richmond Public Schools right now is on June 4th, they just held the official public comment, or another public comment rather, uh, for the renaming of Jeb Stewart Elementary in the 3rd District. Mm. Yay! So this actually comes after Hanover County School Board voted to keep the names of Stonewall Jackson Middle School and Lee Davis High School. Of course they did. And... In the Petersburg School Board voted to rename AP Hill, Robert E. Lee, and Jeb Stewart Elementary Schools in Petersburg, which will now be called Cool Springs Elementary, Lakemont Elementary, and Pleasant's Lane Elementary, mm-hmm. respectively. So what they're doing right now, or they've been doing, is taking public comment on suggestions and like, first of all, do you even want the name changed? So every meeting I've been at, people want the name changed. Well, but but the the contention is always we don't have the money to. And that was the issue in Petersburg, too. And some benevolent soul was like, take this here money. Well, and so right now the projected cost is $26,000. So the main renaming, part of the difference, because I think in Petersburg, um, well, those were also elementary. They weren't, I think they were all elementary schools, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, When they were looking, though, into Hanover and you look at the middle and high school, it's actually a little bit even more challenging because then you start getting into sports teams Mm -hmm. and that's a huge cost driver. Mm -hmm. When it's an elementary school, it's, and even if we went into like renaming Thomas Jefferson, that would be a bigger concern, I think, cost-wise is because you have the sports teams to rename. Yeah. Because basically, you know, changing the sign and the cost of that. Yeah. I would, I'd be down to help with a GoFundMe. Sure. Absolutely. I think crowdsource would be kind of neat. Yeah, so that, you know, oh. kids in a predominantly uh, black neighborhood don't have to go to a school named after a Confederate. So I thought there were some interesting suggestions. Uh, one person I've heard, Albert Norrell, which he already has a school building named after him in the 3rd District a that couple was blocks over. built on top of a landfill, FYI. Yeah, but the point <sighs> wow, wow. of his... Uh, descendant was basically to say you know this is what my grandfather has done and these are all of his works dot 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 and honestly i i didn't know that much about albert norrell but he did a lot and maybe he deserves to have a a fully functioning non-methane leaking school uh named after him Maybe we could, could we, I'd be curious to know, could we actually just take like the letters from Norrell and like move and just, them to Jeb Stewart? And then save you a couple of bucks there. Hey, look at you thinking. Cost savings. <laughs> so other names I've heard, Oliver Hill. I thought that would be a pretty cool one too. But I always think of the courts building when I think of Oliver Hill. True. And so I always think of the halls of justice. Oh dear. And I think of Oliver Hill. And so maybe I don't, just because we have a school to prison pipeline issue here, maybe we shouldn't call it Oliver Hill. <laughs> I'm just saying. I second that. What do we have? Any other suggestions? Uh, The other one I heard was Henry Marsh. Uh, Aw, I would like that. He's still living. Exactly. He could. He's still living. He could do a a, a nice little ribbon cutting ceremony. He could. Yeah. So the point to their point was actually that he is living and that he's done so much that it's worth having like it's Mm -hmm. justifiable to have someone who's still living Mm -hmm. um do that sure kind of cool i like that so there's actually one that i kind of liked a little bit more okay okay go ahead what is gracious so someone made a decent point and i just noticed that this is what petersburg did they named it after like a location Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the point of them naming it after a location i don't know if petersburg did this but the point the speaker was making at school board was name it after something 
not someone, because mm-hmm. when someone does something wrong, wrong mm-hmm. and you find out about it after the fact, you have to oh, go through all yes. of this. Yeah, that's true. So have it be named after something that means something in that area, regardless yeah. of if it's, yeah. I mean, here, Cool Springs Elementary. or well, it could be like Springers. Brooklyn Park Elementary, mm-hmm. because it's very close to Brooklyn Park Boulevard. Yeah. yeah. Like, I kind of, I kind of really that would like be that. would nice. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't change when you build a building. It stays in the area. Yeah, it's well, that bad. would also kind of bolster um, neighborhood support and mm-hmm. I think we pride. Have community schools. Wow. Yeah. Because that's one thing I felt like was kind of missing from some of the speaker's points is, and I, I honestly don't know what some of these individuals did specific to Northside. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't in their comments. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm sure that there are things that mm-hmm. they did in that area. But like when we're looking at naming something after someone and we want that to be something that kids look up to and it's right. inspiring to them, and I get it. Well, would it, I would love it to be something that's super hyper local to that area. But at yeah. the same time, maybe that's not the right move. Hmm. Maybe we look at location names. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, no, I kind of like the, the location. I mean, so what do you guys think about renaming Thomas Jefferson High School? Well... I'm going to go ahead and say I am fine with that, but I do not have a child there, but I, I would contribute to a GoFundMe to uh, to pay to fund the name change through that. I just, as the years go on, Thomas Jefferson gets more and more problematic, and I know that we've got a lot of listeners who uh, particularly love a show that airs on this station called the Thomas Jefferson Hour, but yes, exactly. I know it's, that, it's our trademark exasperated sigh. The the more uh, real talk happens about our third president, the the more I don't want to see his name on stuff. And no, that doesn't take away from all. Yes, that's Francesca continuing the size. By the way, since you guys can't see the face she's making, she is not pleased. Mm-mm. No, and uh, you know, um, I it doesn't take away from the contributions he made to make this country <laughs> what it is. Nope, but stop trying to whitewash history. Right. I know. Go ahead out there and put it out there. Stop trying to whitewash history. You know, I'm tired of that narrative being the narrative for everything. You know, just like the speaker said, you know, don't name schools or don't name things after people because eventually people are going to mess up. And surely, you know, there's plenty that we can say, yes, he's done for the country. And yes, he done he did for, you know, the foundation of this country. But he did a whole lot, too, to enslave and demoralize and dehumanize a race of people that he owned on his famed uh, plantation. And so that can't be erased or whitewashed out of history. So why would I, and my only issue, I mean, how, what does that feel like for students to be sitting in a classroom, reading out of a textbook, to read that the namesake of their school owned people that look like them? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And for all the people that we're going to get, hit us up on Twitter saying, well, if you change the name, you're taking away the history. It doesn't take it away. It don't change the history. Nope. It doesn't change the history. Guess what? You can go to a ton of museums and things around here in this 
great state of ours and learn all about it. It's not going to disappear if we change the name of a street or the name of a school or if we take a monument down. And honestly, the reality, in my opinion, is because, you know, whether it's monuments or school names or whatever, whatever it is. And the answer people always come up with is that you're rewriting history. Mm -mm. That is absolutely not true because, first of all, history has already been rewritten. Mm -hmm. Like history was rewritten for... Mm -hmm. oddly normally like victors Mm -hmm. write the history it's Mm -hmm. super weird in this case that the victors did not write the history in a lot of cases Mm -mm. unless you consider victors to be just general white people Mm -hmm. and i I don't see where this is rewriting history because first of all it's not changing anything that had happened and honestly every time i the monuments for example come up you know people say that i'm like do you you know what year they were built because it was the 1950s Correction, most of our monuments were built in the early 1900s through 1920s. But Jesse's point still stands. Exactly. When they were trying to reinforce the... Bye. I can't. I can't even get it out. Like, to me, you know, when when I say history's already been rewritten, it's when we can look in the 2000s and see that history books in Texas Mm -hmm. would not say slavery. Like, we, we see where this is all the time. Like, I can't think even, like, the fraction of the reality that I learned in school mm. is so minimal compared to what I've learned now in my own research of things. Mm. The history books have been rewritten, and we need to correct them. And to me, history is not a name on a wall or calling your school whatever. Like, it's not a piece of stone that somebody put up to intimidate black people down Monument Avenue. I don't know. Um, it's not that. That's not history. That's not it. No. It's supposed to be a rallying point where everyone in the community can feel welcoming and supportive of and supported by. And it shouldn't be a contention of, well, this person is a controversial per- person in history. So that's nothing to be proud of. That doesn't make me feel proud of the school that I go to or the pep rally I'm at. And you're, I don't know. Yeah, so if if you've got an angry voice towards changing the name of a school to make all students that go there feel included, you need to maybe reflect on yourself a little bit. Richmond is changing, y'all. It's going to change. But regardless of where it is, this is something that has to be talked about. And I I love for the people that stand up and they say, well, when you change the name of something like this, you change their history. Yeah, we know that because you did that. You you did that historically through history to black people. You changed their name and you stripped away what you wanted them to not have. And so then you have this antiquated reality or understanding of who you are. So you want to continue to keep this name because you're continuing to hold on to things that are they still true? I don't know. Are these ideals that you say don't exist, but you're holding on to a name so hard? Is is that really true? I don't know. What's what what is the what does it really mean? What what does it really, really mean? Yeah. And I just for me, that's, that's just something I just don't even understand how people can stand up and say, well, you're rewriting history. It's our history. 
well, there's a other the other side of that history story. I think I think that's a key though. That's our history. And when I say our history, yeah. I'm saying that as a white person. Yeah, right. there's but there's another person that exactly. plays a, a, a part in that story exactly. in that same history story. And what I continue to hear when when you have people that stand up and say, "Well, you're taking away our history. Stop attacking the Confederate flag or stop attacking a." To uh, me, that says you don't belong in this country. That, that tells you me part that of your our collective yeah, history, your history, is more important than my history because you selected me to take to strip my history and strip who I am and what I stand for and what I mean and what I believe in and you gave me this antiquated understanding of what you wanted me to be and I should be I don't know grateful for that oh well screw you (laughs) and on that note (laughs) we're gonna go find some monuments to yell at I think (laughs) and or plan an RVA dirt trip to Monticello yes to see the new Opening, opening of the, of, yep. Yep, of the Sally Hemings house, mm-hmm. which is June 16th, FYI. Well, are they actually calling it a house? I think it's, it's just, just her, her room. room. I think it's, it's just room, her yeah. room. Yeah, it's just her room that's a stone's throw away from his bedroom. Mm. Wow, you guys. Yeah, seriously. So uh, look out for that show in the future. <laughs> oh, it's coming. Oh, it's coming. Who right. was coming? So everybody here thinks we should definitely rename Jeb Stewart. Uh what we rename it, who yeah. knows? Na- name it Willy Wonka Chocolate Factory. I don't care. I don't, I don't care. As right. long as it makes the the children who walk through the doors there and have to sit there and get educated there every day feel more included mm-hmm. and feel like it belongs to them, not some relic of some ancient past that, you know what, we're done with here. Yep, and teach it more than the SOLs. Good night. That'll do it for another episode of RBA Dirt's Municipal Mania, recorded and produced by us right here in the studios of WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond. As always, if you have a conversation to start or continue, hit us up across all social media accounts at RBA Dirt. Until next time, folks.